who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast the fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 2015 and looking at the silly shark thriller Shark Lake. In this bizarre combination of horror, action, and child custody drama, uh, Dolph plays Clint Gray, a smuggler of exotic animals who must contend with the bloodthirsty bull shark that he set loose in a Nevada lake five years earlier. Yet in addition to stopping the shark from eating more locals, Clint is to also evade the mob boss that is on his tail and reconnect with the daughter he left behind. I have a great idea. One more in the water. What was that? Oh, his what? A bear went into the lake and killed somebody. Your killer's definitely not a bear. Who's ever heard of a shark in a lake? It will live and thrive until somebody kills it. What about Clint Gray? 2005 to 2010, trafficking of illegal animals. Bull, python. Damn tiger. We had a deal. When I buy something, I expect to get it. I think five years ago, he put this shark in the lake. You are gonna give me my shark. She's cute. You judge her. I kill everyone you know. I'm gonna end this. Get out of the water! Get out! Now! It's a coordinated attack. What do you mean? She was pregnant when she went into the lake. They're just doing what evolution programmed to do. Shh, shh. Did you hear that? They're surviving. Behind you! We pretend that it's not nature. I'm your host, Sean, and joining me today to discuss this one is Kevin Dotson, host of the Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger podcast. Kevin, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Sean, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've been wanting you on for a while. I mean, you and I, we've uh, been, we were kicking around quite a few titles, actually, when we first got in touch with one another. And uh, before we before we really start discussing this title and, and why you chose this one, um, I have to say, I love your show. 
Okay, I, I've listened to quite a few episodes. I love um, it's it's you and John, your buddy John, who uh, who hosts Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger. Is that right? That, that's right. You call me a host, but you can call me co-host because yeah, it's it's John and mine, uh, our baby. Okay, and and if I understand correctly, I don't want to step on your toes or anything like that. But if I understand correctly, you guys take. A, uh, an action movie from the the glory days of action cinema. So I guess we can say what from 1983 to about 98 or so. Is that kind of your your sweet spot? <laughs> and then and then what you do is um, it's pretty much not just uh, one movie, a singular episode. You guys will pretty much do four or five episodes where you really pick the font, the, the the film apart. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty obsessive. Um, we. Just to to rein ourselves in, we sort of said we'd focus on like the golden age of action movies and the the golden age of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was like whatever Conan through uh, I don't know a ra- or we said we'd never do anything past ninety seven because that's when Batman and Robin came out. We said well right. that was sort of the that was the the end of Arnold's like uh, you know reign on top of the action movie heap. But yeah, we we focus heavily on. Uh, on Arnold Schwarzenegger, but then we also uh, just look at any other action movie that we sort of have fond memories of from, you know, growing up from that era. And yeah, like you said, we, we really obsess about it to the point that hopefully it's funny. Um, We like to look at the, the good and the bad in the movies and uh, just look at it through the lens of a couple of, of 40 year old dudes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, as of this recording, um, you guys are currently releasing uh, Cyborg, which I mean, yes. I, I'll, I'll I'll be the first one to admit. I mean, Cyborg, it's not my favorite Van Damme film. I don't think it's actually anyone's uh, a f- a favorite uh, Van Damme film. But what's interesting about it is I remember seeing that one as a kid. And it, to be perfectly honest, it scared the shit out of me as a kid. Because I would say out of all of Van Damme's movies, that one has to be just the most... The, the meanest, the nastiest, the most mean-spirited. I mean, it is absolutely um, just gross <laughs> in so many ways. I mean, for, yeah, for, for, for an action movie, I mean, I think that's certainly saying something, but that one is just, man, it is, um, it's, it's its own animal, I think we can say. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was dark. So that was one I was not as familiar with. Sometimes we'll, we'll switch off picking a movie that, one of or the other of us was very familiar with and might be a blind spot, you know, for the other guy. Um, and this one was more of a blind spot for me because I was a big Van Damme guy, but it was sort of forbidden from watching uh, Cyborg, like you said, because I think it was one of the darker movies that he ever did, certainly. Well, before we before we get into this film, I know that uh, when you and I were chatting, um, we kind of had the idea of let's uh, let, let's partake in a couple beverages to kind of get through the film. Considering the, this film, there are um, quite a few things that we can say about it. But to get through it, we each have our own respective beverage. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest right now, Kevin. Um, I did not have time to make it to the store. We had we had the idea um, where we were each going to do uh, a lunch. Um, which, which I mean, perfectly suits this film wonderfully. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to. However, I do have a, uh, this is a beer from actually from Iceland. It's an Icelandic beer, oh. beer and it is called Thule. So I'm cracking it open now. What, uh, what, what do you have? Were you able to snag a land shark? I did find land shark and I was alarmed to realize that it's a, a Margaritaville product. So I'm, 
<laughs> putting money in a Jimmy Buffett's pocket right now. But I am going to crack open a land shark to talk about this shark movie. Right on, right on. Well, thank, well, again, thank you so, so much. I, I have to ask, as I ask all the guests who come on, I'm curious because I know on Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, your respective podcast, you guys have discussed Mr. Dolph Lundgren in, you know, in some respects, some fashions, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on the big Swede as uh, many <laughs> like to refer to him? Um, what, what films of his have you liked? And I guess, where does he compare and stack up for you compared to the other action guys of the era? Um, I, I like him. I think he's underrated. I think as far as like being a charismatic actor he's probably about as good as any of those big action movie guys um i i'll be honest i only probably watched like his his more mainstream movies i was sort of was making a list before we started this of of what all i had seen so obviously like rocky four uh masters of the universe i loved him in universal soldier seeing some of the expendable movies that he was in and i i really liked his punisher movie although i haven't seen it in a long time i just remember really liking it when i was like a teen and then more recently i i think we were talking about creed 2 and how i thought he was like the saving grace of that movie he was just excellent like he can turn in a a solid acting performance you know I know that when we were kicking around the, uh, the the film that we wanted to to discuss and cover, um, I, I think it's fair to say you really haven't seen too much of his direct to video work from the past ten to fifteen years. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, that's very fair. The only title that really <laughs> jumped out at, at me as a Schwarzenegger guy uh, was Kindergarten Cop Two, just because there's obviously a Schwarzenegger connection there. But it sounds like you had already maybe done that one, or you've got it on the horizon. So, um, so yeah, I was game to watch whatever because I like a, I like sort of a, a bad movie as much as the next guy, I suppose. Well, and boy, oh boy, do we have a do we have a bad movie to discuss? Um, yeah, this <laughs> is this is Shark Lake. I, I just before we go further, I just want to read the plot synopsis for this film that is on Amazon. So we, we should probably say that this film is on it's available on just about every free streaming service around okay amazon prime or excuse me freebie that's the free version of prime so it's on freebie it's on tubi it's on youtube it's on hoopla i mean it is on them all okay but if you go on amazon on the amazon um freebie interface okay here's the plot synopsis there it states action legend dolph lundgren goes head-to-head with a bloodthirsty shark that has a resort town under siege as bodies wash up on the lake's shore an ex-con, played by Lundgren, must take matters into his own hands to protect his daughter. Now, that right there, I think, is a killer premise, okay? Pun intended, of course. But I think that is just, that's an awesome premise, okay? And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's an award-winning premise or anything like that. But when you hear that, okay, Dolph Lundgren going head-to-head with a shark, that sounds so cool. But, man, is this film boring, kind of. When you hear that premise, <laughs> I won't argue with you. I was uh, I was shocked. You hear that premise, and you're like, "Well, this is if nothing else, this is going to just be a lot of fun." And there was really no sense of fun or joy to the movie uh, that I could detect. So, is that why? I mean, I, I I have to ask: Is that why you chose this particular film? Because I mean, I'll admit, I'll admit, you know, 
right right off the bat. Okay, I realized that um, maybe the the pickings were pretty slim in the in the films that I gave <laughs> you. But um, I know Shark Lake was one that you singled out. You said, "Yeah, let's do this one." Was it the fact that I mean, are you? I guess, are you a fan of shark movies or did you know from the premise that it was going to be silly and that you were going to have fun with it? What, what, why did you gravitate and choose this one? I, I think, like you said, I think it sounded like from the, from the title, you know, you know what you're going to get a shark in a lake and it, how can that not be a, a fun time? You know, if nothing else. And I'd like to watch Dolph, you know, punch a shark in the face as much as anyone else in the world. Yeah. Well, it seems I have a theory about this film, and I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but it seems like the entire movie, okay, the entire conceit of the movie was pretty much predicated on the idea of, hey, wouldn't it be wild if there was a shark in Lake Tahoe? I think that's pretty much how how this film was written, and it was um, <laughs> was how it originated is... You know, someone was sitting back, a screenwriter, whatever it may be. And I do have a little bit of backstory on the people who made this film. But I can't help but wonder if that was the conceit, if that was the idea of someone went to Lake Tahoe on vacation and they thought to themselves, man, it would be crazy as hell if there was a shark in this lake. And then somehow, as the film was inching closer to production, it was discovered that Dolph Lundgren was available for about three days so they squeezed him in and shoehorned in a role for him, even though he is not necessary nor integral to the plot whatsoever. I mean, I'll just I'll just address the big elephant in the room right now. I don't know if you felt the same way or not, but it's not fair to call this a Dolph Lundgren movie when he's barely in it. I did something as I was watching this, Kevin. I did something that I've never done before in a, in a film going experience. But I had a stopwatch as I was uh, as I was watching it, and I would set the. the <laughs> I would set the stopwatch every time Dolph was on screen, okay? And some of the reviews, if you go online, some of the reviews say, oh, he's barely in the film five minutes, ten minutes. That's, I mean, that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But he's in this movie, I, I, according to my stopwatch, about 20, 21 minutes. And that is okay. it in this 85-minute movie. Yet, it is being sold with him as the lead. He gets top billing. His face is front and center on the cover, okay? He is one of the producers on the film. So for all intents and purposes, it's being sold that this is his movie when he's, he's, he's basically a cameo that doesn't add anything to the plot. Did, did, did you feel the same? I, I did. I mean, I will admit I'm sort of new to this world of, like, the direct-to-video action stuff, especially that little niche of the, the over-the-hill guys doing it so I've, i feel like i've come to understand that maybe it's more common than i realized but yes i thought when i was signing up i assumed i would you know get more uh dolph lundgren mileage than i actually got in this movie and yes as you said i mean he's his character it in the very final act it adds something to the movie but up until the final act like he's sort of uh inconsequential to anything that's happening on screen well, I'm, I'm curious. Have you been to Lake Tahoe? I have not. So, I mean, that's I, I'm just. I have been, and it's one of the most beautiful, like, incredible places in the world. That's why I was sort of thrown watching the movie at just the the casual cutting back and forth from Lake Tahoe to whatever lake in Mississippi that they filmed the bulk of the movie on. You know, you have the some shots with the beautiful pine trees and mi- mountains in the background, and then you'll cut to you know, 
the generic any lake in the southeast, which is where I'm from. So when I when I was watching the beginning of the film, I was like, oh, this looks like another Georgia production, which is my home base. And then, you know, then they'd cut to a shot of Lake Tahoe and then back to some flat lake in the southeast. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just, uh, to me, jarring visually because, yeah, Lake Tahoe is like being on another beautiful planet. And and uh, most of the movie was not Lake Tahoe. It was not that. Well, I mean, because that's, I mean, they never come right out and say that it is Lake Tahoe. But that's they did basically... say Nevada at some point, right? Like, did they? Exactly. Or am I just making yeah. that part up too? No, no. They 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 do a couple things. They drop a couple hints to kind of you know fool you into thinking that it's Lake Tahoe, but in reality, yeah, no. I mean, it's a small town and lake. Okay, they never explicitly say that it's Lake Tahoe, but they do drop that it is Nevada, and they do comment that the lake is approximately two hundred square miles. And if you look it up online, Lake Tahoe is approximately 200 square miles. So, I mean, nice. for all intents and purposes, this is this is trying to be Lake Tahoe. Uh, you know, you, you said a couple things there that, that I want to go back to with regard to the um, aging action stars and the um, the model that these direct-to-video films are, uh, are now being sold on. And, I mean, I've said this on the show numerous times, so I'm not going to um, <laughs> go into detail on it on it too much, you know, it, at length, like I have done. But what's interesting is, yeah, I mean, the the state of uh, the current state of independent direct to video action cinema. This is what we have, where basically these aging acts and these aging action stars, excuse me, are now they're they're essentially commodities. Okay, that can be bought for these low rent productions for a few days worth of work, and then the products are then sold overseas for a profit. Who exactly are buying these films? I really don't know. However, I mean, Dolph's name still has enough power and enough cachet to get movies made. But what's interesting is, are you familiar with the website Cameo? I'm sure you know Cameo. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so this film is pretty much the, the cinematic equivalent of Cameo. If you go on Cameo... And you pay the three hundred and fifty dollars. That is Dolph's. Um, that's his uh, his price tag. Okay, if you pay three hundred and fifty dollars, then you can get anywhere from a ten second to thirty second birthday message or um, good luck on your upcoming job interview kind of message from Dolph. Okay, it's the same kind of thing as uh, as going to a convention. Okay, going to a convention and paying the fifty to eighty dollars for a photo op. With uh, with Dolph, which is something I I've actually done myself, so nice. <laughs> I feel like that's what this film is doing. Though I mean, this film is just my goodness, it is so low rent and so low budget. And then you watch it, and it's very clear. I mean, you can tell Dolph doesn't want to be here. You can tell that he's not invested. That this is not really his thing. But it almost feels like it was. Hey, they met his price tag for three days worth of work, and so. He showed up. That sounds that sounds about right to me. Like I was wondering, and I thought you'd have more insight. And it seems like you do as to the this world where like the business model that makes a movie like this profitable, and like how do how do they you know how do they pick this particular script off the pile of scripts they must have? And and I started wondering if maybe like something like this movie, this certain type of plot, certain type of writing caters to a certain market of maybe like English is not the primary language audience. So we just make a film that may as well be almost a silent film, you know, like it's, 
you know, it's uh, not too convoluted and just the, the most simple premise you can come up with and the most simple dialogue that, uh, that you can come up with as well, because our audience is not that discerning about good writing or, or any other aspect of, you know, we, what we would call, I guess, quality filmmaking. Oh, I mean, most definitely. I mean, look, I, I said it already and I'm probably going to say it a couple times again. Okay. I mean, Dolph's character in this film is not necessary to the plot whatsoever. I mean, you can take his character. I mean, what, what it honestly feels like to me is like you said, they had a pile of scripts. Okay. They, they figured, okay, Hey, shark movies are in sharks are in right now. Let's, let's do something with that. And then they said at the last minute, right before it went into production, they realized, Hey, wait a minute, we can get Dolph. Dolph is a name. We can sell this thing. Let's do it. And they were like, Oh man, let's, I guess let's write a character for Dolphin. We'll make him a, uh, a deadbeat father who's going to leave his daughter behind, which was a really weird scene right there. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, I I would honestly say, I mean, you could, I mean, let's be honest. If it wasn't for Dolph, there's no way I would have watched this film. But on the other hand, if you took his film, his character out of this film, I think the narrative would actually play maybe even a little bit better than, than what we see. Well, I mean, I kept I kept trying to draw lines as I feel like the screenwriters and everyone else involved did as well, like between this and Jaws, you know, the the go to shark movie out there. And if if this movie was a knockoff of Jaws, then I guess Dolph is like the Quint character. And then you've got, you know, the 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 police officer, the the marine biologist and the old grizzled animal hunter. And they're going to battle these sharks. And shamelessly, I, I feel kind of bad admitting this, but um, one of my previous episodes was the film uh, Legendary, okay, where, where Dolph uh, teamed up with Scott Atkins, and uh, they are taking on a mythical, like, lizard beast monster. I feel like this film and that film probably would have made a good pairing. Maybe I should have done a combo episode of the two. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, they all deserve their own, uh, their own <laughs> unique episode, I'm sure. Well, the credited writers for this film really don't have any other credits to their name. This is pretty much their their only uh, their only gig, I guess we can say. And the director of this film um, is a gentleman by the name of Jerry Dugan. Okay, this is his first feature length film. Um, if you look at his background of other films, he actually came from a snowboarding background where he shot and produced multiple films about snowboarding. And so, if I am going to give the film some uh some merit i guess okay i will say the one thing that this film has that i really appreciated is there are some absolutely beautiful aerial shots of the nevada locale and so you look at this film and yes let's let's face it it's it's cheaply made i mean the scenes where they're in the uh in the police station i mean you can clear you can tell that's clearly a set i mean it just it looks like a very cheaply made set and so you watch this film and you see those aerial shots and you're like, well, okay, that's stock footage. But no, I mean, it, it appears that they sprung for these shots. And I, I wonder, considering Dugan's background in the world of, uh, you know, filming snowboarding and stuff like that, I think that he probably had access to drone equipment and whatnot, considering that mm-hmm. background. And so he was able to just say, okay, you know what? Hey, I'm going to use that. And so I will say that is one small merit the film has is just, those those aerial shots where it's like going over the trees and you see all the alpine trees and and Lake Tahoe and everything. I think it looks absolutely beautiful and it almost kind of 
fools you into thinking like, wow, maybe this, maybe this film had more scale than we're given yeah. credit for. Well, I, I looked him up as well on IMDb just to try to figure out who this guy is. And I saw he was, he had a couple of credits that were interesting as the aerial director of photography on, on the movie chips, which was like mm-hmm. a, a remake, you know, of the TV show, but in, you know, a, a theatrical release. And then he was the aerial director of photography on the movie, the circle, which was a Tom Hanks movie that I never saw. But I see that his, you know, apparently Hollywood respects his ability to shoot aerial stuff. So that's yeah. to what you were just saying. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, look, okay. Again, on the cover of this film, you have a large picture of Mr. Dolph Lundgren. His name gets top billing, but he's barely in the film. I, again, I clocked it. It's about 20, 21 minutes. Okay. The main character of the film is um, her, the actress's name is Sarah Malakul Lane. Okay. She plays the character of Meredith Hernandez, where she is, uh, she's not the sheriff of the town, but she's the sheriff's deputy of the town. Is that right? That, that's, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. And so she becomes the surrogate mother figure for Dolph's daughter that he left behind, okay? The film opens where Dolph's character, his name is Clint, his house is being raided by Hernandez and the sheriff. Why they're even there searching is really never made clear. <laughs> they, they go in yeah. and they're, you know, it's at, it's at nighttime and they're flashing their, their flashlights and everything and they find numerous snakes and assorted animals in Clint's house. But then Clint uh, quickly runs out of the house to evade the police. But then he is caught. And like I said earlier, he, he leaves his daughter behind, which is doesn't really make him the most endearing character. But what this does is this this allows Meredith. She adopts Dolph's daughter and uh, um, she pretty much, um, like I said, assumes the motherly role. And what this also does is this puts her at odds with Dolph's character, Clint, because she views him as nothing more than a prison parolee who abandoned his daughter. In fact, if you want to, if we wanted to, we could take a drink. Okay. Every scene that she's in, just about every scene that she's in are her storming into her, um, her boss's office and bitching at him about how Clint is being released from prison. And then he is not to see his daughter. Take a drink. Every time she starts (laughs) bitching to her, the sheriff about, how Clint has been paroled and he, and she's worried that he wants to see his daughter. Well, what's funny to me was like, she cared nothing about the, the rule of law, you know, when it came to <laughs> that little young Carly's custody, cause it was all about like, I don't want, I don't want him to have a shot at uh, seeing his daughter ever again. I mean, she had a, she had it out for him, I guess, but you know, you could argue she's got a point, as you said, he, he rode off and abandoned her that <laughs> yeah the whole opening that was just an odd odd open to the movie but to your point if if the idea of adding Dolph in was a, like sort of an afterthought maybe that that opening was not the original open to the film at all but yeah uh, I she whatever yeah she's she's got it out for Clint Gray she wants Carly to herself, and uh, she does not care what family court and uh, and the law says about who should have custody. And, I mean, I will say about Sarah Lane, I mean, you can tell, okay, when she's on screen, she is trying extremely hard with what she's been given, okay? I mean, she's not the best actress, but it's very obvious, I think, that she is taking this film and this role seriously. But in the end, like you said, her character just comes off as just obnoxious and annoying. It's like, okay, on one hand, 
I see where you're coming from, but in the end, like, he's still her father, you know what I mean? Like, he's still allowed to, you know, maybe make amends or try and make up for what he did. Yeah, there's some stuff that I'm sure we'll get to as we work our way through the plot, but she does some things that are just completely unreasonable as the film unfolds. So after these opening scenes, okay, it, it the, the film picks up five years later where Clint is out of prison and trying to rebuild his life. Um, I will say, in my opinion, okay, again, I'm a little biased, you know, as a Dolph Lundgren fan, there's really only one cool scene, and this is at Clint's house, okay, when he comes back. And again, this is one of those moments, like we keep saying, where I feel like this is one of those scenes that was kind of written in it was kind of shoehorned in because it doesn't it doesn't really gel with the rest of the movie because at the heart of this film it, it's a shark movie okay it's a it's a wannabe horror thriller shark movie but then suddenly we get this scene at clint's house where it becomes kind of a pseudo action movie in a weird way so i guess if, if we can back up a bit here okay so apparently prior to his stint in prison Clint was tasked with smuggling the bull shark for a mob boss. Okay. And so in that opening scene, we, when we see uh, Dolph um, driving away from the police, um, right as he gets to the lake, he ditches the shark into, into the lake. Okay. And so, so did he, did he drive years- into the lake? I'm sorry. Did, did you think he drove into the lake on purpose or did he just run accidentally run off the road and the shark got loose? Oh, that's a good point. Because I guess that goes. To I, the I end, couldn't tell. Actually. I thought he almost ran into another car, and then he crashed in the lake. I I figured it was an accident, but the rest of the movie treats it as if he did this intentionally. So I was I was just unsure. Well, now you got me. Oh goodness, Kevin! Now you got me wondering about his character because th- there's a, there's a moment at the end where I'm kind of like Dolph, you purposely set this shark loose into a like you deserve prison time for this. And the film kind of at the end tries to be like, Oh no. But I mean, I don't know. I, I assumed it was intentional. He purposely did that so that he wouldn't get as much jail time. Okay. And so he, yeah. he got rid of the evidence, if you will, and threw it in the lake, but maybe it was accidental. I'm, I'm, I, I, the film works the same either way. I just was finding myself thinking it was probably, you know, an, an accident. I don't know how he would even, know that the shark would survive in a lake. It would never occur to me that it might. Luckily, we get another throwaway character who comes into the film later to provide some exposition. So which yes. we'll get to in a minute. But if we go back to the scene at the uh, at Dolph's house, okay? So he we, we see the this scene. This is interesting here. This is there's so many scenes in this film that almost feel like filler. Okay? They they almost feel like scenes that were just kind of thrown in just to kind of meet that that 90 minute runtime if you will but so what happens is it's interesting here the way they shoot this so clint arrives home okay he has this is the same house it was the same house he lived in it was the same house it was like untouched it was clean the the government hadn't seized his property uh it was odd to me i wasn't sure if more time had passed or what but yeah he came back in his nice truck to his nice house and it was <laughs> I was blown away that uh, he just was his life he picked it right back up where he left off it was cleaner than he left it and, and he's carrying a giant rambo knife like it's like a huge 
Rambo knife that he's carrying. And so you're kind of thinking, okay, like he means business with that. And then he's also carrying a small, uh, a small little brown package with him. And so we find out that this package is a small uh, skirt steak, basically. Okay. And so we see Dolph, he's, he's throwing it on the, uh, on the, the skillet, I guess you could say on his stove top. Okay. And he doesn't even have utensils or anything. He's, he's planning on eating it with that giant knife. And so, I guess what some goons have arrived. These are some goons who apparently work for the Tahoe mob. I guess we could say, the Dawn. right? Yeah, the Dawn. Um, they've arrived to hassle Clint into um, delivering the shark and or returning the money that he got for him that he got for smuggling the shark. Shark, obviously, and uh, Dolph just he beats their asses. I mean, he quickly just dispatches of them, kicks them out of his house. And then the camera then lingers on him cutting his steak and eating it with that knife. <laughs> he sure did. He just went in that, on, that, on that steak. Perfect. I'm starving. At least you could tell us what's on the menu. Russell, you got 30 seconds to get out of my house. Don needs to see you. Time to get back to work, buddy. I don't work for him anymore. Well, he doesn't agree. And not all opinions are created equal. Look, here what are we going to do? We're going to go for a little ride, see Don, and you two can figure out the details. 30 seconds, you're up. Make this easy. We don't like to hurt all the time. gonna shoot me. We both know that I will shoot you. I should probably know. I should probably mention um, the mafia boss is played by friend of Lundgren's and friend of the show, James Chalk. Um, it, back in the early episodes of the show, I had the pleasure of speaking with James Chalk. So um, it, Kevin, if you feel the need to go back through any of Dolph's films in this direct to video era, you're going to see Mr. James Chalk pop up in quite a few roles. Cause Dolph usually hooks his buddy up. That's amazing. Well, I could tell they were giving him special treatment on screen. Like that. I, I had to look him up because I thought maybe it was just a cameo. So I looked him up and I was like, nope, I don't know any of these titles. But okay, it makes sense that it was a a friend of uh, our star. And okay, so if we progress through the plot, okay, Hernandez, she teams up with a graduate student. I think he's a graduate student, right? He's he's working on a thesis. Is that right? Is that he why he's in the town? He, well, he's he studying says he te- he said he was a teacher at the University of Rhode Island. I don't know if that makes him a doctor or a, no. He did say he had a PhD. Okay, but oh, maybe sorry. he was just okay. lying because he he was much more concerned with getting in uh, Meredith's pants than he was in studying any sort of trout activity or whatever the salmon. Oh my god, the banter between the two of them is 
excruciating. So, I mean, because, I mean, if you really break it down, this is what, these are the two main characters of the film, and these are the two who should be, you know, the the film should be circling around. And so whenever Dolph (laughs) shows up on screen, it just feels weird. I mean, I I think that's the one thing that I keep coming back to, is you watch, I mean, (sighs) this film in a lot of ways, I don't know if you picked up on it, but it felt in some ways like a uh, like a made for tv movie you know what i mean or maybe like yeah, it a, was a, like a hallmark or sci-fi channel or you know that sort of yeah. thing or maybe like one of those shows that would be on like the cw or something like that you know what i mean <laughs> sure and so yeah it just feels weird when when dolph's on screen but but yeah so basically hernandez teams up with him and He's only in the film for two reasons. Okay, I don't know if you picked up on this. He's in the film for two reasons. Number one, he's there to give um, to give the Hernandez character a love interest, so that we can hope by the conclusion of the film, when the movie ends, that um, Hernandez and this guy will form like a uh, uh, mother father relationship to to Dolph's daughter, I guess. But he's also there to provide the necessary exposition because he seems to know everything in this movie about both bears and sharks. Okay. Because when people start getting, when, when people start getting attacked by, um, by the shark that's in the water, they initially all think that it's a bear attack. Okay. Um, and so he, he knows everything about both types of, uh, of animals, I guess we can say, or a shark isn't an animal, I guess. Right. But he knows, he knows everything about both killers. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, uh, it was, yeah, his character, it was like, if you thought what was missing from Jaws was that you wished that Brody and Hooper were hooking up, like, that, that's what you're going to get in this movie. And we also get, I mean, I want to get your take real quick, um, because another character gets introduced midway through, he's a smarmy British reality show host, um, what, what, what were your thoughts on the inclusion of, uh, of this particular character? Well, so... There's a stretch of this movie, and this this scene I think was part of it, where there was like maybe seven or eight scenes in a row that had just direct parale- parallels to the movie Jaws. And this dude was there was a character just like this guy in Jaws three, where the one that was set in like a Sea World type setting, where there was just this Jacques Cousteau like oceanographic uh, celebrity person there whose job it was to just be British and sort of annoying. And yeah, I don't know what the purpose of, of his character was other than to give us a sense of joy when he finally got eaten. Well, that was, that was my big issue with that as well. Okay. Because I mean, this is the problem with this character is that he's pretty much the Ellis. Okay. Any fan of action, action movies knows Ellis from Die Hard, right? I think a lot of these movies, you always have that. You always have that smarmy, cocky dude who thinks that he can stand toe to toe with the uh, with the villain of the movie, and you just know that not only is is he going to be killed, but you almost want to see him get killed. Okay, I yes. mean, the, 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 Ellis is the classic example from Die Hard. But I was talking about this with a buddy the other day in the movie Daylight. You had, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the movie Daylight, Sylvester Stallone. I have, yeah, yep. Okay. Do you remember Viggo Mortensen's character in that film? He 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 thinks that he's gonna be able to climb out of the tunnel, and you just know yeah. as soon as he's throwing on <laughs> as soon as he's throwing on his climbing gear, you know that he's just gonna get he's gonna get smacked by uh by the by by the water or the rubble or whatever it may be. And so when you see this 
this British reality show host um, come in because basically he arrives in the film. He's um, promising the town that he's going to capture the shark, but he's also asking that they allow him to film him catching the shark for an upcoming uh, episode of his reality show. What's interesting is his reality show is never named. I'm sorry. I think he said it was called Fish Fried on BBC. Oh, I see. I missed that. Oh, I missed it. And I was it. just Damn like, okay, what? there's no that. way BBC is letting this guy on camera. He's too he's too obnoxious. Well, and he's hitting on, there's that scene where he's interviewing one of the locals, and um, he's <laughs> he's hitting on her. And so you, you watch, and he comes on screen, and you see him doing these things, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I cannot wait to see this dude just get torn limb from limb by the shark. Unfortunately... I mean, I guess we can say it. Spoiler, okay? He is killed. He is eaten. But man, is his uh, is his death a letdown? Yes. Well, the movie didn't have the special effects budget, I suppose, to to do these deaths justice. There was um there was one moment I wanted to pinpoint in the scene you were just talking about, where he was talking with like the local girl, and I don't know right. if it's either the best bit of it's either the best bit of writing to me in the whole movie. Or, or it was an accident that they just let into the final picture. But she says, like, I'm here for a bachelor roulette party. And I was like, did she say that wrong on purpose or was that an accident? Like, if it was written to be bachelor roulette instead of bachelorette, then I think that's amazing. Or it was, <laughs> you know, a, a product of just how speedy the production was that they're just like, that's close enough and we're moving on. Well, she, that character, we see her earlier in the film. I mean, one thing that uh, we haven't discussed, but apparently um, this this unnamed lake, because I don't think they ever do name the lake, do they? I guess for all intents and purposes, it's they, just Shark Lake. I feel isn't like it? they said the town was called Alpine Lake. Oh, it is Alpine Lake. Damn it. Man, Kevin, you, you really you got this one better than I did. <laughs> so, I watched it three times guess, in the last 48 hours, so <laughs> it's all locked in. Man, you're dedicated. <laughs> Thank you. Your dedication. But yeah, I mean, one thing we, we can say, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm going to go back to you because I think you're you're more of an expert on this than I am. Is Lake Tahoe a uh, an area where there's like a lot of parties, like college parties and things like that? Like, will people go there just to party? Because in this film, it, it does not, in its 85 minute runtime, it does not shy away. There are at least three, four scenes maybe where we see some parties and the, the camera is ogling at girls in bikinis and whatnot, right? I mean, is Tahoe, yes. does this, this kind of thing happen there? Okay, so I guess um, it's being true, I, I don't think true it was, form in that sense. Well, I wasn't, so I wasn't there in like the peak of summer, but yes, I think it is. It's pretty amazing because it's like a town where, you know, you can, there. yeah, there's beach parties, there's, jet skiing there's water skiing all like the all of the fun that uh i guess rich kids would like to have but you totally nailed it because a a large chunk of this movie is like burning man or something where the the (laughs) kids are just shaking their booties on the beach or whatever and i'm like what what time of year is this movie happening because half the movie is our characters wearing heavy jackets and all that, and then the other half is like girls in bikinis on the beach. You're right. Well, the the only reason I brought that up is because yeah, the the gal who the um the reality show host is interviewing, we see her earlier in the film, 
because she and uh, one of these college guys go out into the middle of the lake to um, to start being amorous. We can say, oh. and then he is eaten. He is eaten by the shark, and then she seems to be just fine uh, when she's being interviewed. I mean, because <laughs> that was the same actress. I did not notice that at all, but yeah, that was the beginning of this of the chunk of the movie that was just a direct translation from Jaws, where it was like, oh, this is the scene. This is the open from Jaws where the two young lovers like sneak away from the party and someone gets eaten by the shark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, I mean, we, we can't shy away from it. The death scenes in this movie, I guess you shouldn't say we can't really say death scenes entirely, but I guess the maiming scenes in this movie, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I wonder, I go back and forth on this. Do you think they were intended to be, silly and ridiculous or are they trying to play these off as as serious there there's the scene where the um the old couple is is going out okay do you remember this where the the old couple oh, yes. is uh, and the the uh the the guy the, the he's wearing a hat that says retired and he even mentions that he's retired so in case you didn't know he's a retiree um but he he falls in the lake, and there's the scene where she uh, his wife freaks out, and she she sees him face down in the lake, and then as soon as she rolls him over, we see that his arm has been eaten off or whatever. <laughs> it's just yeah. I felt like yeah, those characters were so sort of obnoxious, you know that I guess the 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 idea was maybe they make it where the viewer wanted these people to get eaten because yeah, I felt like as I was watching. That death came not a moment too soon because I was already tired of of seeing these characters. Well, and there's another scene too, which th- this is one that you can find online. Actually, if if you just search the film, um, you'll find images for it online. I busted up laughing. So there's a scene where these two gals are parasailing, and yes, yep, <laughs> and, and the shark just bites one of these gals' feet off. And so you see her, you know, jump up from the water and she's like screaming and you just see this sad, like digital blood squirting off her, her stump of a leg. I mean, and it, it's a hilarious edit too, because you see the, uh, the sheriff, he sees this and he, as soon as she starts screaming, you just hear him, he goes, he goes, Oh shit. And <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just such a funny edit. I do want to commend the Department of uh, Conservation and Natural Resources for their quick apprehension of a black bear. It is a male, approximately 500 pounds. And now the people in Nevada don't have to worry anymore about being harmed. How big was the bear? Uh, 500 pounds. Everybody, get out of the water! We got him, it's under control! No, it's not! Get him out, now! Hernandez! Get him out! It was great. Yeah, I was. I, I snipped a clip of the video off to send to uh, John, who I do Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger with, just to show it to him because I'm like, this is crazy. And his reaction was like, wait, is this movie just Jaws at the Lake? And I was like, I think I'm sure that was like the premise, right? Because, um, yeah. yeah, that was like that whole scene was just their version of like, you know, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July or whatever it was from Jaws. I mean, again, that's uh, what I would say. That's what this movie is, is this is Jaws at Lake Tahoe. 
that for some reason inexplicably stars Dolph Lundgren of all people. That's <laughs> yes. I think the best way to describe that. Um, the, the one thing that really stood out to me the first time I watched it, um, and of course it, it stood out to me again, is the other thing that I think is problematic with this film are the underwater sequences. Okay. So what's interesting is, okay, we're told that this is a bull shark. Okay. A bull shark. I mean, that is a huge, okay. Shark right there. Okay. So, but what's interesting is every time you see these underwater sequences, it's like maybe three feet of water. I mean, did you notice this? Like you can see the bottom of, of, of the water. I mean, and, and if you go to any shark movie, I think in my opinion, at least, I think one of the aspects about shark movies that are, um, that's appealing in my opinion and almost frightening is the fact that um, it, it's the deep blue sea of it all, right? It, it's the fact that, okay, these sharks exist in this um, world that is almost endless, okay? That, that where you'll never be able to see the bottom of the ocean, if you will. Yet every time it's underwater and you see from like the shark's POV, you're going to look at this through a realistic lens. It's kind of like, well, the shark would be realistically beached, Right, if it was traveling through three feet of water, wouldn't it? I was glad. I was glad you pointed that out to me as I was just getting into the film because I don't know if I would have noticed. But yeah, after you pointed it out, it was sort of like you couldn't help but notice that, as you said, there's people getting attacked and eaten in like knee deep water, and I don't know that any shark that could really hurt a person could also swim in water that's that shallow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also thought if these sharks have been around out here for five years, like how is it that they're only just now starting to eat people? I feel like there should have been years yeah. of shark attacks happening. Well, spoiler, I guess it turns out that there's what, three of these things? That there's yeah, the there's mom the mama and, then, and the babies, uh, I guess. <laughs> right. um, it stands to reason the, the there could be a lot more unless the mom only gave birth to two other females, I guess. Which maybe that's the way it was, but you know that's that's getting too deep into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and the other thing that really stood out to me is again, there are so many inert. That's, that's the best way I can describe it. There are just so many inert and pointlessly edited scenes in this film. There's one scene. I actually, in a weird way, I had to rewind it because I was like, "What? What was the point of this?" Okay, there is a scene where Hernandez is just walking down the police hallway. Okay. There is a scene right when she (laughs) finds the, uh, it's like, it's like a harpoon bullet, if you will. And so there is a scene where it shows her enter the door of the police station, walk down the hallway of the police station and then exit. And it's like, what was the point of this? There there's, there are also two scenes. Okay. Not just one, but there are two scenes of Dolph's Clint character loading up his truck with equipment to go catch the shark. Okay. And I'm I just like, kinda like what? <laughs> yeah, he was doing that all day. He was doing that was all like day. 12 and hours of him loading too, the truck. He's loading the truck and all he's loading it with, at least from what I saw was a couple nets. And it's like, how are you yeah, going to catch a, couple of fishing nets, a shark with maybe a harpoon gun and a bucket? Yeah. <laughs> what about, um, <laughs> What about the like the redneck hunters that they had, the bear hunters that were talking about? We're here learning all about the hunters, like domestic problems with his girlfriend or something like that before they they killed the black bear or caught the black bear or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's it's oh goodness, yeah. I mean there's just so many scenes like that where it's kind of like man, 
were they, again, were they padding this out so that it can hit that 90 minutes or, or were they just figuring like we got these, this is B-roll footage of Dolph here that we, let's throw it in so that we can maximize his, his screen time in this film. You need um, to have Dolph on screen at least once every five minutes. Well, and it's not even five minutes. There are, again, he's in this film about 20 minutes. So there are stretches of this film where he's barely there. I mean, where he's not even really there. I mean, let's, let me get your opinion real quick, because again, okay, this is Dolph Lundgren versus a shark. Okay. If if you, if you look on that Amazon interface screen, okay, that is the premise that's being sold. I'll go to your opinion first. What are your thoughts on (laughs) Dolph's final fight with the shark? Because I think that's what, okay, again, if you have Dolph, I'm just trying to think about this. If I'm the director, if I'm the producer of this film, whatever. Okay. I have Dolph Lundgren on screen. Okay, and he's willing to get in the water, okay, and wrestle a dumb shark. Then I'm going to try my damnedest to make that look cool. What were your um, what were your thoughts? Did it live up to those to those expectations? <laughs> well, so my first thought watching was like, wow, 2015 Dolph Lundgren was still in like pretty remarkably great physical shape, but also yes. yeah, the shark came at at Clint. Although it didn't seem particularly interested in biting him, it was just sort of bumping into him. And although it was just also so dark, it was hard to tell what was happening. But yeah, then it what it latched onto his shoulder, and he's punching at the thing. But yeah, it wasn't as epic as I guess you would hope for uh, in a movie where you're promised, you know, Dolph versus Shark. I can only imagine that day on set. I mean, that, that's the only thing I was thinking is I wonder if it was as ridiculous as did you ever see Ed Wood with Johnny Depp? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you remember the scene where they're filming late at night with Bella Lugosi and he has the, uh, the the octopus that isn't hooked up to a motor and he just has to sit in the water <laughs> with it? And I can only imagine. Oh, I'm sure. If, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. your Dolph was probably in a pool or a hot tub or something sort of just wrestling with like some rubber upper half of a shark or something that they had had for the movie. Yeah. That's what the budget would allow. Um, well, if we look at the, uh, if we look at the ending of this film real quick, okay. Um, they, they are able to, to kill all of the sharks. Okay. I, I guess it turns out where um, <laughs> Dolph, because I mean, we, we kind of glossed over it, but Dolph, the reason why he's fighting the shark is because he jumps in the water to rescue Carly because you know Carly somehow fell into the water. The the, the, the way she falls in was um, it was interesting to me. It was but. fully ridiculous. She was like safe under under the deck, like in the cabin or whatever. And then the shark attacked the boat, and he's like, "Go rescue Carly!" So they bring her up to the top deck, and then she gets knocked overboard. And it's like, boy, she was she was truly safe and sound before you brought her up. But yes. She got knocked like 50 feet away from the boat somehow. We should probably say, too, that the shark is able to bite a hole in the boat and we get some hilarious CGI of water falling into the boat. Oh, that was I don't bad. Know if you noticed the, the CGI. No, it was bad. You're, you're, you, you, you nailed it. It was bad. <laughs> that was the Don's boat. Um, we should also say it was yeah, the Don's so- boat. He's like, here, take my boat and go get the shark. I'm like, dude, uh, I, I promise deal. you buying I mean, a bull he's... shark is a lot cheaper than buying a new boat. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and doesn't he give him like a day? He says you have one day to get my shark, which I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, bring me my shark. Two hundred square miles of lake. That made me. <laughs> that made me curious. So I was like, I feel like you could just get a. I feel like you could get a bull shark pretty easily. I don't know what it would cost, but I looked online and you can buy a bull shark on the internet. Like, if you really want a bull shark, he's been waiting for five years for Dolph, for Clint, whatever, to get out of jail to retrieve his shark from the lake. You owe me one shark. Yeah. Well, I guess if, if we jump to the end real quick, um, the Don is able to get arrested. He is arrested, and Clint and Hernandez, they are able to make up. Okay, where Clint thanks her for taking care of Carly. These are his words. He says, you were a mom and you took care of Carly when no one else would. And I guess this is all able to excuse and absolve Dolph of his crimes. Okay, because uh, I, I guess Fernandez, she's she gives him the opportunity to leave, to run. And he says, no, I'm, uh, I'm tired of running. Yeah. I'm going to stick around. And we see him at the end of the movie, again, through one of those awesome aerial shots, he is driving away in his truck. So I guess the police are disregarding the fact that he was the one who put the shark in the first place. I mean, on purpose or if it was accidental, regardless, I think we can agree it was his fault that the shark was in the lake in the first <laughs> place, right? I was, yes, so, and I was also more bothered, I was more bothered by like the deputy that showed up at, at his house. And he assaulted him and threw him off the boat. And we never saw that deputy oh, again. Right. So I was thinking, I was thinking he killed one of the deputies, and they're still gonna like let him off with a slap on the wrist. Yeah, but no, but you know what? He's again, he's absolved of these crimes because he did the selfless act of saving a little girl who just so happens to be his daughter. So that's a little. Bit, I mean, that's yeah. it's not like it's just some random citizen. It's his own kid. So he makes, yeah, he, his character makes bad decisions. I felt like throughout as far as, you know, we should say he didn't really kidnap the girl. The girl Carly snuck away from her house and came to see him. But then as soon as he realizes that she's there, he like assaults a police officer and speeds away with the girl on the boat. And I'm like, well, now you've kidnapped her. Like, so now you've got problems. (laughs) Well, I mean, we, we, we've glossed over the film, okay? I mean, some of them really think this is a film that needs a full-on scene-by-scene, <laughs> six degrees of Schwarzenegger, four-episode analysis of. But, um, yeah. Kevin, I, I always like to do – I always like to close it out, and I like to do two recommends, okay? So one as a film in general and one as a Dolph Lundgren film. I can probably guess – where you're going to go with this one uh, as as a film in general is just regular Saturday night viewing. But I guess, w- what do you think? Does this film get a recommend? Did you did you enjoy it on any kind of level, whether it be a silly level, whether it be a um, – because I know you mentioned that you liked The Punisher and you liked Universal Soldier. Was this one um, – did you find enjoyment, I guess I should say, in, in viewing this film? I, I don't want to be like the Debbie Downer, but I feel like – I, with this silly of a premise, I would have expected the movie to be more fun. And I think if it had leaned into like the ridiculousness of the of everything about it, then it would it could reach a recommend. But for me, I would I would probably say not. I'm sorry to say. Apologies to Mr. Lundgren. Oh. 
Okay. So you're not planning on going and watching this again for uh, for number four, I'm assuming. Is that right? No, I hate to say it. I, I would love to be able to recommend this, you know, break this out at bad movie night with the boys or whatever like that. But um, <laughs> But no, I think I'll probably forego it for future viewings. You know, well, thank you for that. I mean, I mean, I, I really do appreciate you coming on and and uh, chatting this uh, this silly uh, low budget uh, movie with me. But for my recommend, I mean, look, I'm, I'm right there with you as well. I'm no, um, you know, it's interesting. I used to think that the agent read. Okay, I don't know if you've if you've seen any of uh, if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, but Agent Red that's always kind of the one from 2001 that we target as being the worst of the worst, but. I was used to think okay. that that one and the the Giorgio Serafini trio of films that he did in 2014 were the worst. But I, I have to say, I'm sorry to say this, but I think this could be one of the lowest, if not the one of the worst films Dolph has ever done. At least in those previous films, Dolph was able to fire a gun in some kind of way. Here, he really doesn't even do that. I mean, it, it, when you watch this film for the few scenes that he's on screen... He's clearly bored. He doesn't want to be there. And I'm not saying, okay, I'm not saying that an actor is not allowed to step out of their comfort zone and deliver something uh, in a different genre, okay? I, I think that that's noble when any actor tries that. But I would say at least try to have fun with it at the very least. And with Shark Lake, it's one of the big issues with it is it's taken itself way too seriously to be enjoyable and entertaining. And it's not silly enough to enjoy for a pizza plus beer movie-going experience either. I mean, Dolph, like we keep saying, is barely in the film, and without him, there's just not much else of note with this particular film. I imagine that the film, I mean, I, I guess in the end for Dolph, okay, I imagine that the film did its job in helping Dolph make some uh, some car payments, if you will, sure. <laughs> but you, you, you can't tell me that this is something that he looks back on and remembers fondly. I would argue that I bet he de- he doesn't even remember making this particular movie. That's how much <laughs> of a small blip it was. How many? I mean, how many in his in his prime? How many movies was he cranking out in a year? So th- that's what's fascinating. That's what's fascinating. If you look at um, a lot of these action guys, okay, um, back in his prime. I mean, this this is the same thing with. Um, Steven Seagal, um, Van Damme, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I've been saying this on the show, but Jean-Claude Van Damme is kind of in this, essentially in this retirement, because I think Van Damme is of the opinion, like, look, if he really wanted to keep working, these are the type of productions that he would be getting. And I think Van Damme kind of views them as being a little beneath him. So, I mean, who can blame him? But in his prime, Dolph, alongside Arnold and Schwart- and uh, uh, Stallone and all those guys, was making about one movie a year. And sometimes that one movie a year that he did was enough to set him financially to where he could take the next year off. But what's really, really interesting is since these films have started getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, he's doing as many as five or six films a year. And okay. it's, it's, it's just really fascinating watching. I mean, I, I know Bruce Willis, say what you will about Bruce Willis, but it's kind of the same MO with all of those films that we've, what has he cranked out? Like 25 films in the past five years or so. You yeah. Know, and in, I feel like the his same situation seems like it's probably based on his health issues, but, right. but um, yeah, it is a, it's a quick payday and easy payday. You don't have to work too hard. Don't have to spend too much time away from your family or whatever you're, you've got going in your personal life, I assume. Well, in these films, I mean, 
We've talked about this on the show as well, but I mean, back in the uh, back in his prime, okay, when he was doing direct to video films, you still had Blockbuster, okay, you still had Hollywood Video, where these films, even though they were direct to video, you could they they could still make a little bit money on on rentals and sales and whatnot, okay. Nowadays, these films they're not even really being made for Netflix anymore. At least with if a film is being made made for Netflix, you know, people are paying a subscription fee in order to watch it. But a film like Shark Lake, like you said earlier, it's on every free streaming app available. Okay. <laughs> and so when people, when people can view your film for free without having to pay anything, then of course it's going to be cheaply made. Let's just be honest. That, that's the way it is. No, absolutely. I, I feel like I, I feel it makes me, it gives me a little hint of sadness. Although I'm sure that Dolph has like a great, vacation home and a nice boat and everything like that but you see him in something where he's really putting forth the effort like he did in creed 2 and man he can still bring it like he can he can deliver the goods i feel like when he's invested in in doing a good job and then it's sort of sad to watch him in a movie like this where yeah as you said he was just disinterested in the whole thing yeah that's a great way of putting it i mean you can tell that he he he's still has the fire. He still brings the thunder, if you will. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think everybody would agree. Everybody who has talked about Creed three always praises his performance because yeah, he, he has that ability. And then you watch something like this and you're kind of like, what, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is, this, this is beneath you. You know what I mean? Um, uh, it's like that, that boat yeah. isn't going to buy itself, I guess. no, no. So, um, well, yeah, Kevin, this has been a, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, man, you really took a bullet for this one. Uh, thank you very, very much. I, I guess I, this guy, I guess this is some bragging rights to you, right? You can go back, you can talk to your co-host and you can say, I had the pleasure of sitting in and talking about one of Dolph's worst movies. So, <laughs> Absolutely. I wear it as a badge of honor. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to come on and I, I hope you keep doing what you're doing. The world is a better place for having a Dolph Lundgren uh, podcast in it. Well, your podcast as well. Okay, I don't want to let that go. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to plug what it is uh, What it is you do. Again, um, you are one of the co-hosts of uh, Six, Deg- Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger. Where can we find you? Uh, it's, it's basically we were very seldomly active on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. But you can find us, I think, on... Any of the major uh, podcast platforms, we're also a part of the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network, along with this show that you're listening to, uh, uh, I Must Break This Podcast. But we also have our own feed where you might find some some older uh, golden nuggets of episodes that we haven't managed to get uh, loaded onto the podcast network yet, but we are working on that. But um, yeah, if... Uh, if you like these type of movies, I would say, like the golden age of guts and glory and everything like that, um, check out Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger. You'll find a little Dolph Lundgren coverage there as well as all the others, the Wesley Snipes and and Van Dams and Stallones and Schwarzeneggers of the world. Right on. Are you able, are you at liberty to give us a little bit of intel on, let's see, again, as of this recording, you guys are doing Cyborg. What What other films are on the horizon? I think coming up next, uh, we're going to do, this is an exclusive for your podcast. We're going to do uh, Conan the Destroyer. Um, 
And then I want to say I really want to do Speed or maybe Bad Boys. But uh, we'll always, you know, if you're a Schwarzenegger fan, as as I'm sure most Dolph Lundgren fans are, uh, we always come back around to Schwarzenegger. We're trying to ration those out a little bit so we don't just burn through his catalog too quickly. But, um, yeah, I think next up is going to be Conan the Destroyer. I'm excited to talk about it because it's, it's one of the more weird and fantastical Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Kevin, again, um, I'd love to have you back on, man. So um, oh, I mean, I'm kind of coming, I'm coming to the end, but there are still a few films coming out. So uh, I'd love to have, have you back on if you're, uh, if you're willing. So thank you. Absolutely. And I know we're gonna, I really want to talk about universal soldier for sure on ours. So when we get to one of these other Dolph Lundgren movies that we haven't done yet, um, I'll be in touch and hopefully you'll grace us with your presence on six degrees of Schwarzenegger. Oh, that would be amazing. Plan on it. Plan on it. To everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast. <laughs>